This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn. This is episode 134, and today is November the 10th, which means tomorrow is Veterans Day. So as we have done in years past, we spoke with one of our awesome network partners that supports veterans. And in the case of Dogs on Deployment, they help active duty military and first responders as well. Excited for you to hear more about them and the work they do in just a moment. Now, if you are with a shelter or rescue group and you do adoptions, join us for the next Best Friends National Adoption Weekend. It's happening December 9th through the 11th. It's free to take part. It costs you nothing, but you will receive money for every cat or dog adopted during the event. It's a stipend of $25 per cat and $50 per dog. We've got advertising rolling out for the event across the country, so we'll be doing our best to help drive adopters to you. We'll also help you with your marketing efforts with an awesome toolkit that you can easily customized for your organization. The deadline to register for the event is December the 5th, but please don't wait. We'll have a link in the show notes that will take you directly to the page to register. This is something for our Best Friends Network partners, but becoming a partner is totally free, very easy to sign up. The deadline for non-partners to register is November the 21st. That's just a little bit of extra time. It allows our team to get your network partner application processed, so you don't want to wait to get that started. Again, we'll have links Links in the show notes on your podcast player. Tomorrow is Veterans Day, and if you're a veteran, of course, we'd like to thank you for your service. But if you are a veteran, you are probably acutely aware of the ways you do and do not receive support from the military during and after your service. And it was one of those moments of realization of what didn't exist that drove today's guest to create a service to fill one of those gaps. The name of the organization is Dogs on Deployment, and if you work in any intake diversion capacity, helping to keep pets out of the shelter, back home with their owners where they belong, and you encounter active duty military and or veterans, then this is an organization you need to know about, because having them as a resource in your arsenal may be the difference maker in keeping those families together. Well, tell me about yourself, Elisa. Uh, tell me about your background before you started Dogs on Deployment. Yeah, my name is uh, Elisa Sieber Johnson. I was um, a captain in the Marine Corps, served uh, just under 10 years. I joined in 2011 from a ROTC program in San Diego. And uh, once I joined the Marine Corps, um, that's when I kind of realized that a, a service like Dogs and Employment was needed as I had a dog, Australian Shepherd named JD. Um, and I was married and my husband is also or was also active duty in the Navy. We, you know, had a lot of military commitments that brought to light the kind of you know, constant distance from our homes, which is really where the inspiration for dogs and employment was kind of born from. And you were a pilot, right? I was. I flew uh, the C-130J out of uh, Miramar here in San Diego. I was stationed there for pretty much my entire career outside of flight school. It was the best, best experience, best aircraft that uh, I think you could fly. I had a lot of fun doing it. And uh yeah, it kind of set me up real good for having the flexibility um, on the back end of my career to 
really concentrate on dogs employment and getting uh, this organization to where it is today. Yeah, that's so cool. So what happened that led you to create the organization? Yeah, when, um, you know, as as two kind of college kids, uh, my husband and I, when we first started dating, you know, we did the the typical new couple thing. We went out, we got a puppy. His name was JD. He was the worst dog ever. You know, chewed everything up, chewed my Xbox controllers, chewed my shoes, ran out the front door. He was he was very difficult, but amazing dog at the same time. And when we first got JD, my husband was living in Pensacola, Florida, and I was living in San Diego, still attending college while my husband was in flight school. And that lasted for about six to eight months. And then my husband moved back out to San Diego with JD and um, he deployed during that time. I obviously had JD with me. I was still going to college, no issues there. But it wasn't until I graduated college in 2010 that it became an issue having a dog and both of us being in the service because immediately upon graduating from college as a Marine Corps officer, you have to attend six months of training in Quantico, Virginia called the basic school. And during this time, you live in the barracks. And at the same time, my husband had gotten slated to deploy, which worked great for us in our relationship because, you know, you'd rather have simultaneous kind of military commitments rather than non-simultaneous ones. But that left us with the question of what to do with our dog, JD. And as I mentioned, he was a pretty difficult dog. And so our immediate family members in the local area were like, absolutely not. JD will give us you know, too many panic attacks. They didn't have the yard for him and they just weren't set up to care for a dog. And my parents lived in Hawaii. So there was no way to get, you know, JD to Hawaii easily. So that's when we started looking at boarding options for JD. So professional boarding, can we do that? Yes, the answer was, except for it would have cost us a small fortune. And while we would have done that, it wasn't ideal. JD had horrible anxiety. He needs to be in with a family. He needs constant love and belly rubs and being in a kennel someplace was just not the right place for JD. Plus, it would have been a financial burden on us. And so we were really lucky. We ended up kind of putting out feelers to our extended family. And that's when we found, you know, a relative on my husband's side that actually lived in Virginia, just outside of Quantico. We had a big yard, big house. They had other dogs. And also the husband um, was a Navy veteran. And so they graciously agreed to watch JD. And we were so thankful. Uh, we consider them the original DOD boarders. But it was that kind of like fear and anxiety as we were driving across the country. We looked at each other and were like, gosh, like if two officers got themselves in this predicament, what about single Marines, single sailors, soldiers, airmen? Um, what about those that maybe wouldn't have had the ability to, you know, cover boarding? Um, and we knew we had to do something to kind of address that problem. One of the things that I love about your story is, I mean, honestly, like a lot of us, I guess, you know, you had zero experience doing this type of thing. Like you built the website, but you'd never done anything like that. You just experienced this issue yourself. 
made that realization that, hey, there's a huge hole here in terms of this type of program, this type of support. If there's one of me, there's probably many. So you just said to hell with it. I'm going to do it. Yeah, I uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I knew that there was a problem. I knew what the solution could be. I had no idea how to get there. My first attempt at starting Dogs in Employment was the day I checked into uh, the hotel just outside of Quantico. I went to Barnes and Noble and I got myself an HTML for Dummies book. And uh, I started coding my first website, which was essentially a contact form. And uh, I did everything manually right off the bat, got a social media page up and running. And one by one, we just started growing completely organically grassroots. So I was in the army and it was a long time ago. So my memory is pretty fuzzy, but I do remember being deployed and there being a whole process, you know, uh, tons of information before I left uh, resources, but you're saying none of that information is pet specific. So if you have a pet, here are resources to help you. It did not exist at the time. In fact, where I really realized this was a problem was um, I had my one dog JD and I was looking to adopt another dog. And I got denied from several rescue groups because when I told them that my husband and I were both in the service, we automatically got denied. And on inquiry, it was the answer was always the same because we have too many military members that relinquish pets to us um, due to deployments and whatnot that they just have a policy in place that they don't adopt to military members. And so that that really kind of struck a nerve with me. Um, to really try to get our organization's mission and what we're trying to solve into those pre-deployment briefs, into those pre-PCS briefs, um, because we wanted to be at the leading edge of the problem as opposed to something that was being reactionary. You know, we didn't want to, we're, we're not an organization set up to pull dogs out from shelters that have been relinquished by military members. We just want to prevent that pet from being relinquished in the first place by offering our fostering service. Yeah. And just a bit of a soapbox moment here, I suppose, where I will say that people may hear you say that you were denied uh, an adoption and they might agree with that. You're serving in a position that requires a lot of travel and moving around. So, you know, why should you get a pet until your life settles? But, you know, the fact is this service members are going to get pets Arguably, the comfort a pet offers, the companionship, it is a huge thing for all of us. But think about those folks in the military. I mean, who needs that uh, companionship more than than them? So, you know, we're not going to ban all pet ownership by service members, not that we should even try. So our goal should be to support pet owners. So since that time, have you been able to get those resources, pet-related resources, into the hands of folks who are being deployed all over the world? Yeah, for the most part, we've we've always been um, met with open arms, especially from the civilian support side of the military branches, fleet and family services, those that do the pre-deployment briefs, military spouse groups are also huge supporters of our organization. So certainly, um, I, I don't think I've I've ever, you know, come across a command where I'm like, hey, you know, our mission is to help your service members find free boarding care for their pets. So it's one thing less that they have to worry about, you know, before they deploy and been met with anything other than that's such a lovely idea. Like, let's get this information out to the service members. But of course, you know, at, at the military has to work within their restrictions and so we do rely heavily on 
you know, this kind of education out in podcasts, getting our word out, grassroots, word of mouth, people talking, people sharing, because at the end of the day, um, that's really where we connect with the most amount of our military members and our volunteers, those that actually want to sign up to help, as opposed to being in a pre-deployment brief, just because there are restrictions there. So we can't rely on that as our number one way to reach people that we can help. So your volunteers, the folks who are going to accept the responsibility of fostering the pets, who are they? Are they mostly civilians? Are they veterans themselves, other active duty folks? I mean, maybe that group wouldn't make sense. Uh, but I ask that because we're a country that by and large is very supportive of the military, at least in principle, right? A lot of support the troops sentiment out there. You know, this week is Veterans Day. We have a whole national holiday for it. But I'm not sure what that ultimately nets out of in terms of hands-on support like support the troops really needs to be more than just a bumper sticker, right? But at the same time, I'm not sure that everybody is fully aware of ways that they can support the troops. So this is really a very tangible and meaningful way for folks to get involved and support the troops and their pets, which for anyone who loves pets and wants to support the military, here you go. Yes, that just gave me goosebumps because that that is exactly the the kind of thing that I love about the group of people that do follow and support dogs in employment. Um, you know, I kind of have this funny joke that if you, you know, dogs in employment, uh, we have a, a large group of supporters that they support animals. They love animal causes, but maybe, you know, they're, they're not familiar with or maybe supporting the military isn't like their primary objective. And then we have people that supporting the military is their primary objective and supporting pets is just kind of like a, a nice, you know, secondary cause to help with. But I would say if you don't support pets and you don't support the military, then I can't help you. <laughs> you know? But definitely it, it is a very tangible way to help, not through a monetary donation, which we'll get to that too, of where our donations go to, because there is another large part of our organization in which we offer financial assistance to military members. And that's 100% by um, donations from our supporters. But in terms of the volunteer aspect you know, you're not you're not just working in an event and, you know, passing out flyers and, and talking, which we always need those people as well. But when you're fostering a, a pet for a service member, it's different than fostering for a rescue group, which I highly encourage everybody, if you have the space in your home to foster, whether it's through dogs and employment or through your, re your local rescue group, fostering saves lives, period. So if you can foster, I, I highly recommend um, opening your home and your hearts to a foster animal. But some people do have some reservations when it comes to fostering. You know, you start to fall in love with this animal and it becomes very difficult for a foster parent, especially a new foster parent, to kind of go through that adoption process, you know, because that dog doesn't have a home and your home becomes its home. And it's difficult to cut that tie and allow an adoption to occur. And what's great about fostering through dogs in employment is you have a set time that you know how long you're going to foster a pet for. And, you know, that can be flexible because military commitments can always change and are subject to change. But for the most part, uh, a typical fostering for us is anywhere between four to eight months with six months being, you know, pretty standard. But we also have shorter fostering um, requirements and we have longer fostering requirements. So having a set known time is, is really important. And also, yes, you get to help that pet, but you always know that pet has a home. So, you know, it's going to be going back. So, yeah, not only are you helping that pet, but 
that service member. <laughs> you know, that's really where you get that tangible. I helped a person. I know this person. This person's name is this. They're from here. They're, you know, this in the military. They're going here for their deployment. They have this many pets. And you know that person intimately because you're watching their pets. So, yes, you're we are combining both the love for pets and the love for service members into one organization and giving people a very, very tangible way to connect in a way that's really meaningful. Well, for fear of this turning into a political discussion, which we should definitely not do, whether it's, uh, you know, the mismanaged VA, the outrageously high suicide rate of service members, both veteran and active duty, you know, I think we hear a lot of ways that we're failing members of the military and I'm just one person in Michigan, right? There's a limit to what I can do to change much of that. So again, I think you have such a great way for people to support the troops. You want to support them, open your home for four months to a pet who will be a massive amount of emotional support when their owner returns home from, you know, whatever corner of the globe, wherever they've been. Exactly. And I, I always say to people that want to try out having a pet, or maybe you have kids and they really want a pet, but you don't want that 15 year commitment. We got the holidays coming around. You're going to see those signs everywhere. You know, don't adopt a dog for a Christmas. It's a 15 year commitment. Well, or you could foster one for a shorter period of time. You know, there is that perception that our veterans, our service members, you know, lack direct and really impactful support. And this is one very concrete way to provide that support. And I should also note that Dogs in Employment, while primarily we do assist active duty service members on deployments with their pets care. In addition, we have fostered veterans that have been receiving inpatient treatment for rehabilitation or wounded warrior treatment. We also assist Crisis first responders, for example, in California, we have had firefighters in the past that we have boarded their pets as they have, you know, gone from Southern California to Northern California to go help fires. Uh, we help government service employees when they're deploying in um, support of military operations. So it's not just the active duty service members. Um, we, we really try to help the entire, you know, array of America's heroes. We also help families. So you know, one of the hardest things is being a, a spouse of a service member and having a family emergency go on when your spouse is deployed. Say you're pregnant and you have, a, you know, a complication in your pregnancy or your childbirth. Say a relative, you know, passes or gets very ill, especially in the COVID time. We had several family members or, or, you know, spouses of deployed troops that would reach out to us and say, hey, like, you know, my dad is sick now. He's in the hospital. We have all these complications. I have to go and, okay, apply for dogs and employment boarding. Put your pet on our website and see if there's somebody near you that could help you with your, your dog. So we really try to encompass the entire military family and all America's heroes, not just, um, you know, active duty. I don't know what data you have, Elisa, but I'm wondering if we can understand the scale of the need. I mean, we can probably ballpark based on pet ownership stats, you know, set against the number of people in the military, but maybe just your own data over the years. Anything that can help us understand just how big the needs are for these types of programs? Yeah, so presently, uh, we have provided free foster care, or as we call boarding, for 2,688 military pets uh, since 2011. So 
in all over the United States. And then, you know, I kind of mentioned that financial assistance as well. Um, to date, we have granted $863,420 in financial assistance to military members and their pets uh, for help with emergency pet care, as well as pet transportation costs um, when they have to move overseas. That's something that comes out of pocket. Um, so, yes, I, I would certainly um, be an advocate for saying that, you know, that's not a small number in terms of the overall, you know, need. We have about 1.3 total active duty military in the armed forces right now. And when I take the total number of people that we have actually had joined dogs on deployment before, about 2.5% of service members have signed up for dogs and employment before in the past. So 2.5% of all service members right now, we can fairly estimate have either used dogs and employment before, or at least come to dogs and employment for help. And of all the pets that we have had listed on our website, we have helped place 78% of those in boarding homes. So with DOD borders. So 78% of all the pets that we have ever had apply for our nonprofits fostering services have received help. Those 22% that didn't receive help, a lot of times that's due to either uh, maybe dogs and plant was a backup plan and their primary plan actually ended up being able to care for their pet. Their military commitment was canceled. They, um, you know, ended up finding alternative care, whatnot. So we cannot say that the 22%, they came to us and then those dogs were like put, you know, into the shelter or something. Uh, most likely those dogs have been just put someplace else safe during their service commitment or the service commitment was canceled. And I should also remind listeners that dogs on deployment does indeed seem like we only help dogs, but we also help cats. Parrots, parrots. We've had chickens on our site before. We've had reptiles. We've had rabbits. We've had guinea pigs. We've had all kinds of animals um, listed through our site before. So we are all companion pets, not just dogs. So you did not come to the interview alone today, Elisa. You brought someone with you. You're military pet of the year and dogs on deployment mascot. So before we hear from Hillary Ruff, do you want to explain what that mascot and what that's all about? So one of the ways that dogs on deployment celebrates military pet ownership is what we host every year in the beginning of the year. And it's called our military pet of the year and mascot competition. And the idea behind this was born because if I could have, I would have had JD, my dog, be the mascot every year. But um, unfortunately, I just um, I just lost my boy after 14 and a half years. Again, we do this every single year to highlight uh, amazing military pet owners and allow them the kind of platform to share their experience, provide a kind of face to dogs in employment and really connect our supporters with somebody that has received help through dogs and employment or serves in the military and has a pet and has some sort of cause that they care deeply about. And so this year uh, we had our, gosh, 
11th, I think, mascot competition. And Nala, who is a Siberian Husky with the most beautiful blue eyes, was our winner. And she is owned by local service member Hillary Ruff. And uh, I would love for you to uh, take it away and introduce yourself, Hillary. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Alyssa. I can tell you from personal experience, they have helped me in every single way that dogs on deployment can. I had it underway and they ended up having to board Nala for, it was only three and a half weeks, but that was three and a half weeks. I was going through a very ugly divorce. My family is all here on the West Coast. I stationed on the East Coast. So in that aspect, they got to help me. My uh, dog, Athena, had a $10,000 surgery that Dogs on Deployment covered $5,000 for. I won't even lie, I entered the contest not even thinking I would win. I just, you know, wanted to get the name out there with my friends, stuff like that. And all of the rest of those cute, adorable puppies. And I'm so fortunate that, you know, the board chose Nala and I because part of what I wanted to do was give back to everything they've done for us. Hillary, uh, you're in the Navy, I believe. It looks like you're at work right now in a Navy uniform, uh, in a storage unit of some kind. Um, what do you do in the military? So I'm a gunner's mate. So I work with different, all kinds of different weapon systems. I also um, teach people how um, to utilize them, whether it's small arms going literally all the way to the big guys, running the ranges, things like that. Currently for operations right now, we're putting ammo on the ship. Um, this is my fourth command, October 1st. I hit my decade in the Navy. I have another another 10 years that I'm going to try to push for. I cannot imagine the stress you must feel, Hillary, given the responsibilities you have with the Navy, as a mom, everything else you're doing. It must be a huge relief to have the resources available from dogs on deployment. Absolutely. Because honestly, I, I mean, if you think about it, just like a normal person, they can't do their day-to-day -day job if they're worrying about you know, whatever they're supposed to be doing or whatever's supposed to be happening, i.e., how am I going to be worried about the mission for the Navy when I'm more worried about, you know, how how's my dog going to be taken care of? It's small things like that that are just major distractions. And I can promise you the Navy uh, or the military in general does run you like pretty down to the ground. But I mean, it's what we signed up for. It's what we said, you know, we're willing to do for our country. And Again, it's amazing people like Alyssa and her husband that said, you know what, there's this need. We need to make sure that this is met so that way we're not having those worries. Our pets are our best friends. That therapist we never thought we'd ever be able to get. And I tell people Nala's my first child and she turned eight years old on June 16th. And I could never see myself not having her. You know, I went through two very ugly divorces. You know, I have an autistic son now. And, you know, Nala has been my support animal as well as my son's now. If you think about it, like if I don't if I couldn't call my girlfriend, I can give my dog a hug. It's things like that, that again, this program or this um, I can't even talk now because I'm getting all emotional. I know how important these pets are. Uh, like Hillary said, there's something very comforting about being in a career field that takes you away from your family that stresses you out um, to a level that most people will never understand. But coming home, whether you're gone for a 24-hour shift or a nine-month deployment, having your pet there to provide you comfort is indescribably beautiful. And we want to protect that relationship to our best of our abilities. 
We do have resources from Dogs on Deployment available. Now, for those of you who work with the public to keep people and pets together, as I said, this is a valuable resource for you. We hope you can leverage them because there really are just very few things out there like them. And I don't need to tell you that the human-animal bond matters for all, and so very much so for those who are serving the country. Thank you to Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Kim Clonch for helping to produce this program. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.